Navigating the road to success in the entertainment industry can be daunting, but we're here to help keep you centered. Undetoured, navigating the artist's journey. My next guest is a One Voice Inspiration Award winner for 2020 and the Best Male Performance Award winner for 2020 for the One Voice Awards. He's a multilingual actor, director, and acting coach. He speaks over 10 languages, including Korean and Mandarin Chinese, and he teaches, which is so noble. I've had the honor to study under him for a couple months, and he is next level with his approach to breaking down a script and creating authentic characters which it's even baffling that he has time to teach since he has racked up over 400 credits to his name. Let's drop in on the soul-stirring conversation I had with Stefan Kornicard late last year. I'm so glad that all of you got to join us again in our base camp here at Undetoured, and I am so honored to welcome my friend and my mentor, Stefan Kornicard. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Welcome, Stefan. Thank Thank you you so much for taking the time to be with us here today and to share your experience of how you came to where you are in your career, which is so absolutely fascinating because you have over 400 titles now. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. In video games, yes, yes. In advertising, I must be sort of slightly over the thousands of adverts and because I, I work in I work in a variety of fields from sort of acting so video games animations but also I'm um, announcing and and sort of a lot of uh, corporate identity museum guides um, anything really to do with the the voice world apart from audio books I, I I've only done about I don't know, perhaps about six titles in audiobooks. It's something that I want to get more into. Um, and mainly now that I feel sort of a bit more restful with regards to my career now. I'm not running as much as I was. Yeah, and I think that's so interesting because at the beginning of our careers, and I've talked to a lot of different uh, successful artists such as yourself, and in the beginning, they felt like it was a sprint, like they had to take all of these like really, really, um, even if they didn't want to do them, they had to take the jobs because they felt, oh, I've got to get this under, you know, my resume, my CV, as you would in Europe, and Mm. now you're relaxed into it. And so I would love to just kind of go all the go way back. back to the sandbox. <laughs> I want to go back to the sandbox as a child. Okay. Yeah. When you were growing up. Well, and- so I I had, uh, I would say I had a lovely childhood. I really did. Um, there were some clouds already on the horizon. Um, but the first sort of, you know, those years you don't remember. Mm. <laughs> I think they were lovely. I, I really do. Because uh, I emerged from them a child full of confidence, um, full of joys of life. Um, I was considered to be slightly magical by my family. Um, There were some instances of things that happened. And my, um, incidentally, my grandmother was a witch. And and I think- It was in Normandy, right? In Normandy, near near the Mont Saint-Michel. And um, and she, she was very much, you know, she was very much into into that kind of thing. And I think it sort of passed on to me because uh, there were several instances that um, the family became part of the family folklore, like 
Um, for example, one day my mother left me so that she wouldn't have to look after me while she was doing things. She put me in the middle of a, of a field, um, very near where she was sort of um, um, hanging the, the, the washing. And then um, when she came back to pick me up, I was covered with butterflies. Um, thinking back, it was probably two butterflies and they've multiplied over time to become this sort of legend. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a good childhood. Um, and then there was the beginning around the age of seven of a, of a difference, of not being quite the same as the other boys. I used to have a very, very high singing voice, um, like extremely high to, to and, um, and it was part of my gift, as it were, and I didn't want to lose that. And, but at the same time, I, I sort of both hated and cherished my difference. My difference was something that made me special or in my eyes special, but at the same time, it took me away from the experience um, that other people would, uh, would feel. Um, I was always sort of creating shows, doing um, at my grandmother's house, I used to do circus with all the farm animals and they actually, believe it or not, would stay where they were told to stay. Um, and um, there's, there are pictures going around of me in front of about seven chicken all perched on chairs and doing exactly what I, what I wanted them to do. Um, you know, it's funny that you should say that because whenever I look at any of your social media posts, I felt like you have been an animal whisperer all your life. Mm. You have this affinity for animals on a whole different level. And if you get a chance, listener, if you could please just check out Stefan Cornercard on, on Instagram. I mean, he has a butterfly on his nose in one. He has a friend, <laughs> a mangy, um, a mangy, what is it? Uh, it's not a hyena. What it, it, is it a oh it's a fox it's fox. a fox, fox. No, yeah, my little fox take care of these animals as if like you are their shepherd and i feel it's so beautiful they come to me they come to me it's it's a weird thing they come to me like not so long ago i, I don't know the, the last summer um there was this sort of bee <laughs> that kept on coming to me and sort of and <laughs> wanting wanting attention um sort of <laughs> Yeah, so eventually I kept it and um, it passed on, unfortunately, but it stayed with me and it would allow itself to be petted. I mean, it was a big bumblebee and it would, it would love being petted. It was like, you could see it arching its back, <laughs> loving, loving the, the attention and the petting. Okay, so Stefan, you know that this is not normal, right? Like <laughs> no one else in the history of- I, I've claimed <laughs> my abnormality long ago. I, I, have, I have claimed it. I used to have a pet magpie when I was uh, uh, 13, 14. I had a pet, I taught it how to fly and, um, and it used to sleep in my bedroom. And when I went to, to school, it used to come to school with me, then would fly off and then would be waiting for me from when I left school and then <laughs> walk me home. It was called Pilou. Pilou, Pilou. Um, and it was, yes, I, I, yeah, I love that. I love that bird. So I've, I've, yeah, I've had that all my life. Um, but I think I've got the same, I've got that as well with people. I, 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 you know, when I see people the first time, in their faces, I see the child face that they were. And I, it, it's been with me all my life. I see, before I see the person at their age, I see the child first. 
and then eventually I will see them as they are now. But first, I will see their childhood self. And usually it's around the age of that, that moment of loss of innocence between five and seven. This is what I see first. And then eventually I will see the real person, of course. But uh, yeah, wow. um, I suffer from terminal empathy. That's one of the things. But that's what makes me a good actor. Well, if I am a good actor, that's a contributing factor. I I'm literally crying right now. So I have really- No, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> no, it's a cry of joy. So when oh, okay. I resonate with things, I can't control it. It just happens. But it's, uh, yeah, but it's a visceral good. feeling, right? Right. You know, like when you, when you resonate with someone on that level, it's like a beautiful feeling because you don't get to do that much these days, right? We're all mm, in our phones. Okay. We're all, you know, like right here and we don't ever get to do- this we yes. never have, to have yeah. these conversations mm. so um so going forward throughout childhood i wanted to be a poet that was my uh, and i wrote poetry from the age of about seven and i still do and i'm now in my mid-50s not for publication or anything just because sometimes you can crystallize a moment in words and save it and savor it and make it everlasting for you um so it's that's what I love doing I love writing in any case I'm not there yet with regards to sitting down and writing long form it will come but um perhaps in my 60s my later in life at the moment I'm still sort of enjoying too much being the actor um but going back to childhood um my parents were both teachers um and then they had this stupid weird idea of giving up their career and buying this hotel um, on the Normandy shore, which was like a, a massive, massive granite building, which was completely isolated from everywhere and everything. <laughs> and, um, and so the whole family sort of sold everything and moved there. And I arrived there when I was 10. And, um, and of course it changed my life from, from a life that was absolutely, you know, teachers you know we ate at the same time we got up at the same time they would take me to school or etc suddenly I mean I was on my own literally they were working so hard and the hotel was so big I could disappear and nobody would notice we didn't have any sort of fixed meal everybody could go into the kitchen grab something to eat and then do their own thing and um, and that meant that sort of once when I was 14 I I went to a rock concert for about a week and nobody realized that gone. And <laughs> it's, <laughs> so it, it was a shock to the system. At the same time, I think it allowed me an incredible amount of internal life. Um, and uh, and I, I, I absolutely adored that sort of solitude. We were in, a, in this little village called Cusqueville, um, on the on the Normandy shore, where there was thirty people in high summer, and so during the during the busiest period for the village, there was thirty people, and there was probably about twenty people in the middle of winter, um, and of course this this massive massive building came complete with ghosts and and stories and and for a child who was sort of already quite sensitive you can imagine what what it fed you know it, yeah. it sort of it was it was the shining all over um but 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 a good shining right. a, a good right. shining yeah no i had the same uh, similar experience my parents actually um moved into a very very 
an abnormally large estate when I was six. So from six to 16, before I moved to France, I um, lived in this home that was four stories and 44 rooms, um, 11 fireplaces, 12 bathrooms, a cellar, um, uh, tunnels, like tunnels that you could go through. To oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was unbelievable. And when I tell people that these days, they're like, really? You live there? You're, you know, I, I would have never imagined you had that upbringing. I mean, but yeah, and it, I, I was on my own a lot because my brothers were a lot older. So again, imagination. Yeah, exactly. So they become your they become your go-to friends, you know, the, the sort of imaginary friends and the sort of the mixture. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. I, I wonder if there's something about, about the, a wide house or a big old house and what it does to you um, in terms of um, um, how it changes you, because that, that hotel um, changed me. I mean, we were basically busy three months of the year. And during three months of the year, this was like the moment where there was absolute freedom for me. I, I didn't see my parents. They were sort of busy. Um, but of course, nine months of the year, the, you had this massive, big, big building right on the seashore, buffeted by the winds. And it was like Wuthering Heights all over again. And it was, it was, I loved it. I loved it. We had every year in October, November, we had shipwrecks. And in the middle of the night, everybody would sort of get up. The whole village would get up with torches and go on the beach to rescue people who were, they were like freezing in there. So yeah, it was, a, it was an eventful childhood on that score. That is exactly what you need to write when you do become able to write long form. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I do want to write. I have, one day I will write the story of my childhood. I've got to wait for certain people to die. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. Um, and I've got to wait for, for things no longer to be so hot. Um, that, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I was a male Lolita. Um, which is, um, it's, it's a bit dangerous to talk about. Um, but yeah, I had a, uh, yeah, I had an affair with an older man when I was a, a young boy, well, a young boy, an adolescent. Um, but it was not what many people may think where they blame the man. It was me sort of going after this person, um, and succeeding, um, but it, yeah, it's a story for um, a bit further down the, la the line. Um, but uh, so went to school in this new place where we were in Normandy and, um, and I started getting bullied. And the, I think for me, this was the moment of realization that the loss of that sort of carefree existence, I started to monitor what I was, who I was, what I did, how I looked, how I walked, how I spoke, because there was this feeling inside me that, first of all, I was not like everybody else. And second of all, that there was something quite shameful that was part of me. And I had no idea what it was exactly, but I knew that there was a, a sort of tangible difference uh, in approach, in feelings, etc. And of course, I think bullies have a an incredible honing instinct for weaknesses and they will look for them and they will sort of suss them out. And then once they latch onto you, 
they will make your life hell. And so for two years, um, this guy, um, Philippe was his name, and believe it or not, but I still monitor where he is 50 years later, well, 45 years later. Um, but he basically decided that he did not like me, that I was too different, perhaps because he was different himself and didn't want to admit it or didn't want to sort of, um, but, but he started sort of make, making my life hell to the point where my father used to drive me to school and I used to think, God, I wish we had an accident. That way I wouldn't have to go to school. And, and the funny thing is I never spoke to anyone about this. It was because speaking about it would mean that I had to speak about the other thing. The, the fact that I, I was slowly coming to grips with the fact that I might be gay, that I was different, that there were certain things I felt which I knew were slightly outside of um, the, the sort of correct Normandy society in a village. Um, you know, it's macho, it's... Mm. Um, 19 what? 19. So this would be 1976. So I was born in 1964. So 1976 would be that that was for three years. I was still in, in, um, in middle school. Um, and, and this is the moment where that sort of difference started to, you know, uh, take place. And so, and so for two years, he bullied me to the point where I used to rush from one place to the next, trying to avoid him and trying to, and he made me fearful of everybody, not just him. He made me fearful of groups of people. He made me fearful of passing people on the stairs. So I used to, <laughs> I used to pretend that I was so engaged on an inner pursuit of my own. So I would, I would start counting things like 73, 74. And that way I was so within that they would leave me alone because I was obviously busy doing something. What I did not realize then is that it made me look even weirder because I was the weird, weird kid who was constantly counting on his fingers. And <laughs> so I, I basically by trying to escape being a target, I made myself more of a target. Um, and it came to a head one day where I met I, I became friends with this guy at school. So this was two years down the line. I was now um, 14. And I met this guy who I absolutely fell in love with. Um, I mean, you know, hook, sinker, everything, and line. Um, and of course he was not gay, but he became my friend. And, um, and then one day when Philippe, that, that, bully was um sort of saying things he turned around and he said oh fuck off philippe and i realized oh my god it is that simple it is that simple i can just challenge i don't have to run i could just challenge so the next time he came to me and i was on my own i said oh fuck off philippe and and that was it i'd broken that sort of circle of bullying i'd just broken it of course, the consequences of the bullying were with me for years. That sort of um, the fear of crowds, the fear of 
not being quite adequate, of being different, of being all that. But that was the first step towards admitting who I was and what I was. Not, ad well, admitting because it was, con I mean, I considered it shameful at the time because I had no role models whatsoever. Um, and it took another two years and basically going into high school and discovering theater. And oh my God, that was like, oh, the world opened. There was a, a, a whole world where suddenly I fitted in and I fitted in like a glove because all the, the sort of, all the things that I had been doing whilst I was being bullied, which is basically that every morning I would decide who I would be. And okay, I'm gonna be aggressive today or today I'm going to be invisible. All the things that I tried to do in order to avoid being bullied suddenly came into their own because I was, pre I, was, I was so used to pretending whilst being me that pretending to be somebody else was like, oh yeah, no, I can do that easily. I've, I've done it all my life. Um, there, there I am. And so, uh, and, I, and this is where I met the first person who really, really counted in my career. And that's uh, Francois David, who was then my theater teacher, my French teacher, my literature teacher, but was also a uh, published author. And was, and he saw me immediately. He saw me and saw what I was. And, and he very gently made me aware. And that was, and I will forever be thankful to him because he made me aware of various things, of who I was, of what my sexuality was and who I would become, but also of the talent that I had. And, and my, my mother went to see him one day saying, um, Monsieur David, Stéphane has to stop theater. His grades are not good enough. He has to stop theater. And he turned around and he said, I think Stefan should stop school and concentrate on theater. And that coming from a teacher, it, it, it made my mother realize how, yeah, that it, this was my path and, and, uh, and so on. Yeah. And I talk a lot, don't I? I, I, I? This is beautiful. And I love that because I feel like high school drama teachers should probably be triple paid because there's so many stories of people, oh, including yeah. myself, that found themselves in this group of misfits, didn't know who they were, and yeah. found their tribe within that one theater class or those productions that they got to do a couple times a year in high mm. school. You know, they mm. just didn't have a way before that. So I, I think it's beautiful that you were yeah. able to kind of come into your own. And so at that point, did you really fully embrace it? Did you, were you able to embrace uh, it at that point? The, the, the gay aspect of my life, you mean? Yeah, it took, uh, I was 16. And then suddenly it came out. It came out first to my best friend, Christine, Christine Asn, who, was, who is now a theater teacher and, and who I've kept in touch and, and who was my, my soulmate, my sister, my, the love of my life, but an impossible love. Um, so we turned it into the most beautiful friendship. Um, and well, so I told her love, first, right? Sorry? It, doesn't, it doesn't have to have a label. Love is just love. Right? Love is just love. That's true. But, you know, when you're 16, you try to, you still try to fit in. You still try to sort of abide by the labels that society put on things. And in that case, so we were girlfriend and boyfriend 
up to a certain moment um, and then realize, nah, this is not happening. Um, so so <laughs> what do we do? Um, and, then, and we decided, okay, well, let's, let's deal with it. Um, and, um, and so she became my, my friend, my confidant, my um, work partner, because she was a, an actress as well. So we, we were working a lot. And then I came out to my mom and I was tears and sort of, oh, but what a life you've chosen. It's not a choice. Um, and what, uh, and then slowly it became more and more sort of known in the family. Um, and uh, my brothers were a hard path because I have two brothers, older brothers. One of them was no problem whatsoever, a sports teacher. The other one was quite troubled and um, he, he had a, a hard time with it. He had a hard time. And then, but but um, to give him his due, when he did come around, um, he was my fiercest defender, um, which is, you know, um, so good for him, good for you, Fabrice. Um, but it was, it was hard for him. And eventually my father, um, and eventually my, my grandmother, who basically sort of signed me off for two years, um, which, but that was fine. By then, I sort of I was going through my flamboyant case. So I, I think that one of the things that happened. I mean, I, I don't want to make any general rules for gay men or or anything, but I've witnessed it several times. Is that there is a a period of hiding, and then when the coming out happens. It's almost like an explosion of colors. <laughs> it's like, and I, I remember I had a, a, a scooter, um, a pink jumpsuit, and a black velvet case, which was nine meters in circumference. I mean, that was a statement. And I used to strut around the school going, oh, oh, <laughs> judge, judge me if you want. I do not give a flying monkey. Um, and and it was, a, it was a, a, a beautiful time. Of course, at the same time, I was going through terrible, terrible situation at home because both my parents started to fall into alcoholism. Um, and that was a that was hard because it was a, a long day's journey into night, uh, as it were. It was, it took, you know, years and years. And they eventually both passed away from it. Um, but they never admitted it. Never, never, never sort of admitted or admitted to themselves or to other people that they had a problem. Um, even though they were confronted with it and from, you know, the hiding of bottles and, and, and uh, yeah, and, and, and the bewitching hour sort of, which came earlier and earlier when suddenly the personality changed um, and they became nasty. They just became nasty. And at first it was like sort of eight o'clock in the evening and then it became six o'clock and then became four o'clock and then it became most weekends and then earlier and earlier where everything became bigger. Um, the arguments became bigger, the... Um, the reproaches became bigger. Any bout of sadness became huge and, and sort of, you know, door slamming and everything. So one of what, why, you know, what you said about theater really resonated with me, with that family that we create ourselves, because then suddenly this family was no longer working. It was, it was not, um, it was dysfunctional. 
absolutely dysfunctional. And so therefore, I sort of went almost to live with Christine. I used to spend like, you know, two nights, three nights a week, I would stay at her place with her parents who were very, very normal and very straight. And that was such a relief after the sort of drama that was happening in my, <laughs> in my family. Um, but theater and the theater group became, oh my God, my, my buddies, my friends, my people who understand me and uh, who I can understand. Um, and, and that lasted for five years um, because from, from uh, the first day of high school to my um, third year of university, I was in this theater group. As soon as I left high school, um, the group became a, a limited company um, because we wanted to keep together. So if, if we graduated, we said, okay, well, how can we keep the, the theater? And we became the theater of the young ocean. And, um, and then I went to university and then I applied for a scholarship to study in the US, um, which I won. And, um, and then I went to the US to study. But that was my, uh... so over the, over the five, six years, we produced, I think about 10 shows, 10 plays. Um, it was my life. I don't think I had any other life apart from the animals. I don't think I had any other interest really, apart from theater, theater, writing, poetry, animals. Uh, that, was, that was pretty much, that was pretty much me. But by that time, I was quite happy with who I was. I was fiercely protective of my right to be different. And, uh, and I still am. Yeah. And what a wonderful thing that you were able to come into that at an early age during that time frame, like during that time in history. Um, that was just, I know in America, things are a little bit different than in Europe. I think people are a lot more freer in Europe in general. And I love that when I got to live in Europe, everything was just a lot freer, right? Mm. Like just life is freer, but just how wonderful it was that you were able to come into that and let down those heart walls and be able to be fully you, because I feel like that led you into being able to create all these different characters that you mm. were able to create. The energy of that allowed you to free up and you were just open. You were like this open heart. Yeah. And also, I mean, it, 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 was a, it was not like giving birth to me. Do you see what I mean? It was not one moment. Um, it sort of happened over the course of about five years, this sort of slow realization and coming out and, and, and being free. But by that time, so Interestingly enough, when I went to the States, so I'm going to pass over the episode that I mentioned earlier, that sort of coming into my sexual being. But when I got the, um, the scholarship to the States, one of the, it was basically offered by the French government to, uh, I think, four people um, in France. And it was basically to study for a year. And... Um, and my English, I didn't speak English. Um, I spoke um, obviously French. I had studied German as a first language and Spanish. So my, my, my English was pretty non-existent. It was not very good, but I still sort of won the, the contest um, on the strength of the other 
um, essays and, and conversations that I had had. Um, but of course, so when I arrived in the States, they said, um, you cannot go straight into university because you won't understand a thing. So you need to arrive in uh, May, June and spend three months, the whole summer in the States to make sure that you can speak English. And That's what I had to do with going to France too. I well, yeah, because and it, it makes complete sense. It's, it's absolutely, you know, I would have been completely lost. I was lost as it was, but I would have been even worse. But of course, my, my parents had a friend who was from Texas, who funnily enough, when my parents had the hotel, he arrived for the D-Day celebrations. So he was a veteran and he had nowhere to stay. All the hotels were completely booked. Everything was completely booked. He had nowhere to stay. And he arrived at our doorstep soaking wet after a, a, a massive storm, sort of carrying his suitcases. His taxi had already left and he said, I've got nowhere to go. And so my parents decided, we're not going to charge you. My mother was very um, veterans for my mother had a, because you know, I was brought up in, in Normandy. Normandy, the American D-Day landing is still very, very, very present. Um, so we decided you can stay for as long as you want. You're going to have Stefan's room in the attic. Um, so I, I moved in, into another room. Um, and basically he stayed with us, I think, for two weeks. Travis, Travis Winfrey. Um, and he was an absolutely adorable, adorable man um, who is still around, who is still around. And I'm still in touch. And um, but so, of course, um, when um, it was question of me going to the States, the first person we called was Travis Winfrey. And we said, oh, Stefan needs to go study. Can he come to you? And he, he lived in Texas. And he said, yeah, come to Texas. Come, come, come. Stephen, come to Texas. <laughs> like, and so I arrived in Texas, but I was still completely, you know, I had just come out. I was in my phase of, yeah, everybody should know that I'm gay. And of course, Texas and a small village in Texas is not the easiest place to be uh, openly gay. And so Travis found me a job in this because I'm uh, living in a hotel and growing up in a hotel. I was used to doing silver service and and waitering and all that all that stuff. So he got me a job at a local sort of hotel restaurant and uh, a little place. And um, so I started there. I was very happy and I sort of did about three or four days. And then I made the mistake of confiding that I was gay to one of the waitresses. And so the following morning I arrived and they assembled all the staff in front of the hotel the owner was there and they refused me entry. And they called me the most abominable names um, that you, you can imagine. And you could see that it was all orchestrated and all sort of very, um, it was like a, a redneck kind of um, a hatred exercise. And that really sort of, oh, that was a slap. That was a slap because I, even in my worst times growing up in Normandy, I'd never had that, that sort of public shaming of, yeah, you know, and being, America. 
But yeah, that was that was that was my first um, that was my first feeling of that. So after that, I learned that you know you've got to be careful um, who you open up to, and 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 you've got to be willing if you do open up to people, you've got to be willing to take the consequences of opening up. It's it's part of life, uh, and you can't blame them. Um, yes, they are ignorant and they are stupid but you opened up so before sort of judging and assessing the situation i came like you know like a bull in a tea shop um sort of going yeah that's me <laughs> and yeah it, it, it was a it was a hard lesson it was a hard a heart lesson and a hard lesson <laughs> yeah both both definitely both definitely both i mean uh, do you know what doesn't kill you make you stronger that's 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 what I, I, I really think. And it makes you reassess yourself as well. You know, your, my values were obviously not the values that the majority of people, at least in that small village of Hampstead, Texas, um, lived by. Um, you know, some people actually called me the Antichrist um, when I was there because I, 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 one day they were, I, I visited someone and, and they were having lunch and, and they said grace before, before, before dinner. And I, 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 by that time, I was a, a convicted atheist. Um, and, and I said, I just stayed silent and I was sort of looking at everybody with a, you know, a friendly smile. <laughs> it did not go down well. <laughs> Once again, you live and learn. You live and learn. Since then, I've, 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 I've gone back and forth between atheist and, and, and believer. And it's, it's now... I've settled into a, a, there is something, but I do not agree with any religion um, because I think religions are self-serving. Um, they became an entity. They become um, almost like a, um, a company where they've got to self-serve their own interest. And at the end, it's no longer the interest of whatever is up there or, or of the individual, but it's, it's basically trying to get more members. Um, and at the end, that's not really what we should look for in a religion. For yeah, me, no, I completely agree with you. Um, I was born uh, Jewish, but I am very spiritually eclectic. So I call myself a Jew boo because I <laughs> a lot more with like Buddhism and Taoism and just, you know, there being a higher source is an important thing for many people just to have faith in something that's just yeah. beyond ourselves right mm. but if you are um, leashed to something that is an establishment that uses all of its teachings to guilt you into behaving a certain way or um, uses its teachings to uh, trample over another religion or other areas of the world then yeah 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 how is that the true source of love? Because I feel like mm. everyone at the true core is pure love. And I, that's all I see. I see pure mm. love when I was a child also. I, I was very, I guess they would call it pansexual now or bisexual because I just saw love, right? Mm. So it didn't matter whether it was a male or a female. I was more interested in the love aspect of who that person was. And I, mm. I, de I definitely had to hide some things from mm. my parents as well for a, a long time. And then just kind of it, it translated into me having a lot of unhealthy relationships.
you know became... well i think yeah i think that that would be a byproduct wouldn't it of of when 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 we are unable to accept ourselves and and be openly what we are then we start hiding and as soon as you start hiding then it sort of it brings you into contact with people who are in effect abusing you um or or at least not very healthy relationships um yeah no i i i, I totally see that yeah it wasn't but, until i met my husband now who we've been together for 26 years and he is just so amazing and is able to just fully embrace all of my weirdness and you know. good for him and good for you good for you um the um going back to that sort of higher power you know we were talking just before the the, the start of the interview um about sort of uh connecting to that higher power and being being able to create opportunities and to manifest things that 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 we want i i've been doing it all my life but i do it in a what i in, in what i call white magic um, and is which it something is, your grandmother taught you? Yeah, well, it's it's something that I caught from her, as well as you can create rituals for yourself, which allow you to obtain what you really desire. I mean, I, I'm I'm the first one to say you've got to be very careful about what you desire. Um, be careful about your wishes because they can very easily turn against what you really, really want. But for example, I, I was looking for, the, for this little house recently. I wanted to buy a little farm in Normandy. And um, when we went to visit it the first time, I thought, yeah, this is, this is for me. This is, this is mine. This is... And... Um, and I had a, a stone in my pocket. And I took the stone and I placed it inside the grounds of the house. And by doing that, I was staking my claim. I was actually saying, I really want this. I, now I will be forever in this place in one way or another because I have put something there that was not there before. So even if there's no tangible trace of me passing, I know that on those grounds, there is a piece that I brought, something that I changed it. And therefore, I am claiming it. I am making it mine. Um, and there's a lot of things that I do like that. For example, if I, if I, like, um, if I want a job, I've got a, a set of stones. Stones are important to me because they're the bones of the earth. And um, I also love, I've got my selenium here. Oh, nice. Uh, I want some. Uh, it's lovely. Yeah, oh this God. is from, um, we travel, my parents felt like travel is the best form of education. And so I've traveled about 148 countries. And one of the places that really resonates with this is Morocco. You get these in Morocco. Um, but actually, believe it or not, I got it here in Georgia from a gentleman who got it from someone from Morocco. But this is selenium. And it's one of the only things that um, can clear the energy everywhere mm. and does not need to be cleansed afterwards. And you can just- oh, wow. The light reflecting off of it is just magical. I know it's just magical. Oh, yeah. it's just magical. 
I just got it. Oh my gosh, look at that. <laughs> oh no, I like. <laughs> I, yeah, so I have stones everywhere from every part of the world. So I totally resonate with that because stone, they are the true like um, essence of who we are. Like if you absolutely. look at the universe, we were, you can see all of us in nature, right? Or in the cosmos yeah. even. And so they are the true form of what would be the cosmos, you know, yeah. its own essence and its own form. And we'll be here long after we're gone. And oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and and I think what we do is when we manipulate and I, I've, I've so I've got some by the front door, like, for example, and they're they're stones that I've picked up pretty much from everywhere. And let's say that I really want something to happen or or I there's a part that came up, an audition that I've done and I really want it. I will somehow rearrange the stones. And make my desire part. <laughs> it sounds completely wacky when you say it like that, but it, in fact, it works for me because it's a, it's almost like a focusing exercise of sort of going within and and really being clear about what it is that I want with the universe and saying, well, yeah, you know, and and therefore I am moving this here and this looks better here and that looks better here, and it's it's like I'm making almost a picture of the now with my desires and and touch wood i i've been successful you know what i mean so whether it is that or whether it is just pure luck i think it's 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 a bit of both it's a bit of the sort of the manifesting of things that the sort of and when i say be careful what you desire um some years ago i was in another relationship which lasted about 11 years and um, and it was the relationship was sort of stalling. It was sort of coming to an end, and and no one wanted it to come to an end. Um, and then Alex, that was his name, um, started to become ill, and um, and he lost a lot of weight, and 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 he was very grumpy all the time. Our relationship was awful and and sort of toxic, and. Um, and I kept on saying, but oh, go to the doctor. You know, you're, you're obviously not well. You're losing weight and you're, you know. He said, no, I've been to the doctor. They know what it is. It's such and such. And, and he was a, um, a psychoanalyst. So, you know, someone who is in the medical profession and therefore. And then he kept on de deteriorating. And then we went on a holiday um, by the sea. And I always think that being by the sea is a very potent place it's a, yeah it's yeah it's a frontier between the sea and the land it's it's like and i i made a wish i made a wish with regards to that relationship and i said i wanted to stop i wanted to be over and two weeks later alex was dead and of course i carried that i carried that the fact that he was ill before and the fact that, in fact, he was suffering from, he did, uh, developed AIDS and died of AIDS um, made it, it's still, I, I'd wished for it to end. And I'd, I'd actually wished for it. I did magic. I was on the beach. I was talking to the wind. I was asking it to make it stop. So that's why I said, be careful what you wish for, because sometimes... You can wish them something and it will happen, but not at all in the way that you want. Um, and, um, and of course, this is where 
Um, so Alex passed away after three, two weeks in hospital, uh, one week conscious, one week um, uh, uh, on a ventilator. And, um, and they said, go away, but of course you will have to be tested for AIDS and HIV. Um, so I went away to the sea um, for a month. And then when I came back and I found out that I was HIV. And um, so therefore he had passed it on to me. And of course that is, it's hard to grieve when so much, I mean, not, not that any, it's easy to grieve in any case, but when so much is stacked on you in one go, because I was grieving for him at the same time, I was so angry. The anger was so palpable because he passed it on to me because, and, and there was no other way that it was him. And the fact that also there was guilt of feeling that I'd manifested his death and at the same time there was um, guilt about the fact that I was angry with him. And at the same time, I was worried about myself. I couldn't project further than a day at that stage because, you know, um, HIV was still a death sentence when I got it. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I was gonna die, that was it. And, and all the things I hadn't done and, and all the things I hadn't said and, and yet I could not project myself. But slowly I started to project myself a bit further, a week further, um, two weeks, three weeks, a month, six months, a year. Um, but right after his death, I developed agoraphobia. I, I could not go out. I could not face crowds, the open air. Um, so can you imagine being an actor? And I just finished working for Steven Spielberg. I just finished um, uh, Saving Private Ryan. And, um, and it was, so this was filmed while I was with Alex. Alex passed away, the film was released. So he never actually saw the film. That was another big thing. Um, and, and so, but, but how can you be an actor? How can you be a voiceover? At the time we didn't have home studios. It was all, you go into the studios in town when I couldn't go out. So I trained to become a gardener. So while still sort of doing as much as I could, I became a, um, I became a gardener and sort of became, started working in gardens and, and the earth, once again, we're talking about sort of things that heal you. Oh my gosh, the earth is so healing. Just to put your bare feet in the earth is so healing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I knew there was, it, it was a funny thing, isn't it? That, your body gravitated to Oh God, yeah. It's, it's in the same way. <laughs> At the moment, I've got a craving for boiled eggs, right? <laughs> Sorry, it's a bit random. No, it's fine. But, but I truly believe that my body is needing something that is in boiled eggs. And it's basically saying, the craving is a manifestation of my body saying, yeah, you need a bit of that. I don't know what it is and I don't care. It doesn't matter. But it, the fact that I'm craving it, I listen. Absolutely. So, Our bodies are so intelligent. Like, exactly. Take a moment to just meditate like you were saying and listen to them. Because I do this with actors. I do Qigong. Uh, I've done Qigong uh, breath work and guided manifestation and mind movies. I actually create mind movies like you were talking about with your stones. But oh, I yeah. Them, and I do them in a visual form, like in a video format. With I need to learn these things because I think I feel that I've intuited all this 
and 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 it, what came to my from my grandmother as white magic is in fact something that a lot of people have been sort of properly studying whereas i've just been <laughs> making it up as i go along no, you you're not making it up it's in within you it's part of your fab fiber of your being it's who you are you're just now coming into it and realizing how powerful it is maybe or maybe you've known it all along but you've kind of well i think i've it. always used it yeah, i've always, always used, used it. it but you even said earlier you said oh it's wacky i'm like no it's not wacky people accept it um in many different cultures mm, cultures yeah. african cultures i mean there's so many different cultures that widely accept the use of ritual but we are shunned away from it because of the you know certain societies think of it the rational the, the right. rational thought the uh, yes yeah yes so it's it's um it's it's funny because i consider myself a very very positive person i'm i'm you know life is beautiful beautiful you've got to grab it by the horns you've got to and yet when i look back and i talk to you and i'm thinking it's it's been a lot of obstacles it's been a lot it's been a lot of heartache and it has been a lot of heartache but at the same time it's still i still get up in the morning and i'm going wow you know what a privilege what a privilege to be the one in a million spermatozoid who managed to get there what what a privilege to be the one in the thousands who didn't die in childbirth or in childhood or and managed to get to 56 you know if i'd been born um in let's say well 1890s so i would i would have been 20 in, during the first world war and the life expectancy was for men was about 29 so how lucky how lucky how lucky to be born as well so that my hiv became curable so you know, and are i've seen in, so many are you in remission now um, well I'm, I'm i'm what they call undetectable so basically i'm taking medication um but I can have sex without the fear of passing it on to someone because it's it's no longer in my body. It's hiding in my body somewhere, but it's no longer contagious at all. And as long as I take the medication, it will remain hidden, sort of frightened in a corner um, and not bothering anybody. And um, and I've got the same life expectancy as anybody else. But, you know, it, I was right on the curve. I was right on that at that limit of. You know, a year before I would have passed away. It was it was for certain. So I was right. And when I, when they first gave me the medication, it was it was so heavy. It was um, there was twenty six pills. They were about this big. They had to be kept in a fridge. And you had to take twenty six a day. So it was eight morning, eight lunchtime, eight dinner, and you had to uh, because you you had to keep them in a the fridge. Um, because they would sort of turn and become really sort of foul tasting. Um, you couldn't go on holiday. You couldn't go traveling more than a day away because uh, unless you had like a, an ice box with you. And, uh, and of course, the side effects was that you would lose um, the feeling in your legs suddenly in the middle of nowhere 
So you were walking down the street and suddenly bloop, <laughs> you, you would fall. Or I mean, the sound of the side effects were like the nausea and all that. And yet, here I am. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, in your face. <laughs> you know, I think it almost has to be because of the amount of love that you have, though. I feel like the heart center, like this chakra right here, tends to like override everything if it's fed the right things and, you know, uh, given the opportunity to express itself. And I feel like, you know, all, all the 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 love that you give to your students as well as you give to your work and people around you, I feel like that is the best medicine that you could possibly have. I, I agree. And I, it's a funny thing because it's, um, I'm starting to believe because so many people have said it, that there is some sort of radiation that comes out of me. It and I, I'm, and and it, it and it and I do love people. I did. I'm and I genuinely cannot can say that I I. There's nobody that I. Do not want the best for it's the and and as soon as I meet them and I, I don't care where they are, what they do, or you know whether they they. You know run a garbage truck or, or they're a university professor. It really doesn't matter to me. My, my love for them preempts and precedes everything else. Then after that, some people are like me and then that'll, that'll go further. Some people won't. And then I go, okay, bye, you know, enjoy your life. <laughs> you know, there's, there's plenty of, I feel a bit like a butterfly really. I do sort of, uh, it might be my spirit animal is the butterflies <laughs> flapping happily in the wind. Yeah, and that theater group was your chrysalis. Oh, it was, absolutely, absolutely. And so have, okay. you, have you forgiven Jean-Philippe? Oh, Philippe. Oh, um, Philippe. Yeah, sorry, I, I put a Jean in front of it. Sorry. No, 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 he, uh, he, is still, he is still a sore point. Um, I was trying to exercise him recently because he, you know that like in Harry Potter, when um, Voldemort sort of splits his soul into several horcruxes, yeah. um, Philippe was a bit like that for me in the sense that he broke me into several separate personalities. Um, and at the same time, so I'm, I'm thankful for that because I mean, those personalities are lovely and, and they get along really well in me. Um, but at the same time, he did make my life hell for no reason. Um, so I'm no longer that angry. It's more like, why? You know, it's 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 more of the, the the quest for why, but it's 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 something that I can never answer, and I don't think I'll ever meet him to ask him. Um, so, I haven't put it to bed, I haven't put it to rest, but it's no longer hurting. Does it make sense? It's it's yeah. it's more it's more of a it's a part of my past. It's it's. It's a bit like the passing of my mom or, or 
you know, those or the passing of Alex or um, those moments where you look back and it's, it's what Francois Sagan used to call tristesse. Yeah. Have you ever read the book uh, Bonjour Tristesse by Francois Sagan? It's, um, oh my God, read it. So Bonjour Tristesse by Francois Sagan. It means hello sadness. Yeah. And it's, it's that, it's the exploration of that sort of elusive feeling, which is not, it's not quite sadness, tristesse. It's a, it's a very, very French thing. It's both, it's bittersweet. It's soft. It's, it's, it's almost like a, a feeling of cotton, um, but of, of sad cotton, of a, a cotton that wished it was different. The, do you see what I mean? So it's, it's a soft feeling. It's very elusive. It's very, but bon, bonsoir tristesse, bonjour tristesse. It's a oh, beautiful book, beautiful book to read. <laughs> so I wonder though, if you were to do one of your rituals or, or whatever it is that you would resonate with you in the forgiveness of Philippe, what more would come in for you? What more greatness and, and joy? And I don't know, I just wonder like... It is, it is definitely worth thinking about. So there's a, a, a a lady here in the United States, Marianne Williamson, and she does this course on everyday miracles. And I actually had a very difficult time having a child. Um, we were given zero, 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 five chance. I've talked about this before on the, uh, on, on the series and point zero, 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 five chance of ever having kids naturally. And one no. of the yeah. And one of the things I did was I watched her course on everyday miracles on forgiveness. And um, it was forgiving yourself as well as others, because that's sometimes the hardest thing is forgiving yourself. Mm, as well. Mm. And um, I did that. I meditated in front of the Dalai Lama for like four hours when he came into town. I, I volunteered for him a couple times for his holiness. And um, I also um listen to a lot of Wayne Dyer um, on uh, changing your thoughts and changing your reality through the Tao Te Ching, which is, you know, uh, the ancient book of the Tao Te Ching. And with that all together, one of the hardest pieces was the forgiveness piece. Out of all mm. of it, like, you know, it was just so hard to forgive. But when I did, I forgave someone in my mind. I didn't go to them directly, but I just did it in my mind wrote a letter out, you know, gave it, uh, gave it a, a physical thing, right? I gave mm. it a physical, I, even though I didn't send it to that person, I gave it a physical thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You and, materialized it. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, um, we were uh, right after that given an IVS session for free from a doctor. And within days of starting the IVF, one day of starting the IVF, I found out I was pregnant supernaturally with twins. Mm. See, I'm, I've, that well, that is absolutely incredible. Um, but I've I've tried I've eight tried years, to eight years of marriage and nothing, no, and then nothing, yeah. and forgiveness. See, I've tried to. What I've done is I've started a one man play mm. where I take on all the personalities that split when when I was bullied. So there's there's the poet, there's Marilyn, there's um, and there's loads of personalities yeah, and i think we read that didn't we we read yes, it we in did. one of your first webinars yeah, yeah. yes we did. Really, we did we really did really cool actually really cool. it's it's quite but you see it's unfinished because the whole premise of it is that this person or these multiple personalities have kidnapped philippe 
And Philippe is now in the basement tied up and they are trying to decide what they're going to do with him. And I don't know yet. And it's not finished and it's not. So maybe that's what I need to do is I forgive. That's what you need to do. I feel yeah. like you need to like, you know, really take a good chunk of time and dedicate to that piece and then that's your long form that you wanted to write right yes no yeah, absolutely two two, two you, you got two things happening at the two, same yeah, time yes I, I, sort of, you... no absolutely absolutely it's a date <laughs> i'm doing it i'm doing it i love that so that's going to be, see, that's, that's already healing. That's, that's the fact that, to be honest, I could not speak about the bullying until about six years ago. So it took un until the time that I was in my sort of, yeah, late, well, late 40s to be able to admit to myself that I'd been bullied and to admit to other people to speak about it and say this was what I suffered. Also because there was no name for it in French. You know, bullying was a name in English. In France, it's just come out now that people are talking, talking about it and it's now called harcèlement. But it, it didn't have a name before. It didn't have a name. So you were roughed up at school. Yeah, well, that was part of school. There was no, you know, it, it was part of the experience. No, because some people experienced it in a very, very negative way. And therefore they need, you know, they need that, that, that closure. Yeah. It's so important. The closure part of it is yeah. so important for our souls because I feel like we have this, this small crack, right? If mm. it's just, it's there, it's inconceivable. And you still are able to create all these amazing characters and do everything you need to do and, and create that heart flow like you've been doing. But there's this small crack that just seeps out, <laughs> you know? Just yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and I think, I mean, I, I think healing is a lifelong thing as well. I know, you know, healing is, you do it over the length, over the, the over the time period that you're given. Um, so that hopefully just before you go, everything is resolved. Um, That's very Buddhist. It is. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, but I, I, I try to live by it. I really try to live by it. I try to, I try to manifest. I try to forgive. I try to put more love into it than I will receive. Because it's, yeah, it's nice. It's, it's just nice to love people. You know, it's just nice. It's just. But that's, that's what we were supposed to do, right? That's why we were put here, I feel, on earth by whatever higher source is to share our essence and to share our love and mm. to help teach others to do the same. And I always say to my kids, um, they're 13 now, and I always say to them, you know, if you can be the good guys, we always say that my husband and I, you need to be the good guys because there's so many other bad guys in the world that if you can just put a little love out there and mm. build each other up, how much more amazing will this world be? Yeah. And you redress the balance. You right. sort of, you know. Yeah. 
a little bit of care. We're That's kind a, of like in this family. We love Star Wars. We're huge Star Wars fans. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my kids, we're kind of nerdy too. Like I, I know you've seen me in my room with all the action figures behind me before. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We're very big nerds. We had a Star Wars Jewish wedding. So we're, we're yeah, very much into Nice, nice. That must Which be a one of a kind. Which is all about energy. Like, I mean, the whole yeah. the whole story of Star Wars is all about, you know, um, just putting that force of good out in the world, no matter. Mm. What. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Do. <laughs> <laughs> Has there been a character that's stuck with you, that's left a mark on you, or or just stuck with you, either good or negative? Has there been one that stuck out? Oh, out of all the characters that I've performed, I think there are several that sort of resonate. Um, I think the first one was Liquid Snake in Metal Gear. Gear, yeah. Um, and and he's basically a twin brother who who's very resentful and hurt and 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 I was able I mean I look at my characters all be almost also like a catharsis um, because through them I'm able to let go of things um, and um, this character was recorded I think three months or two months after Alex passed away and there was a lot of anger in me and a lot of sort of incomprehension and and sort of worry and 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 I think and it was recorded I mean it was recorded in a beautiful studio because it was recorded at Abbey Road you know where the the Beatles oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um so it was like for a week I was going there every day and and so what could have been an absolutely incredible experience was very much marred by what had happened three months before and the fact that at that time I could not see around me. I was basically so inside my own pain and my own... Um, but I remember sort of being able to vent some of that anger um, through that character. There was uh, uh, another character, which was uh, more recent, um, which was uh, Benevent Vitalis in Plague Tale, for which I got the One Voice Awards uh, for Best Performance in Video Games uh, last year. And, um, and he is basically someone who feels that his mission is more important than anything else around him. So he's willing to make people suffer and make himself suffer for the greater good. And this sort of abnegation, this sort of willingness to, to go through the fire um, really resonated with me. Um, and, and, um, and that, and I, it's probably why I got the award because I've been so much so much went in that character of my own sort of, no, I wouldn't call them inner demons, but the things that I know are there, they're under control, and, but, but it's good from time to time to be able to let them out and give them a voice. Do you see what I mean? It's almost like it's a, um, 
what do you call it when when someone is possessed a um, exorcism an exorcism of of the bad feelings in, within oneself so i i recommend it to anyone play nasty characters because then you <laughs> it's like all that dark energy goes out of you and you just you know um um otherwise the latest one that i'm i performed recently um and it's um it's a, it's a triple a and it's a it's a a game based on a uh, on a young Roman boy who um, throughout the game, well, at the start of the game, his his father has been killed, and um, and he's going to make it through the ranks in order so he can become emperor. He, he comes from a very good family in Rome, so therefore it's very very accurate uh, historically, and um, and I play the. The boy's slave. So I'm the family slave, but I'm a former gladiator who has found philosophy. And I'm basically a father figure for the boy all through the game. I advise, I help him, I train him, I make him stronger, I make him. And that character really, really, I mean, it was, I think it was 25 hours of recording. Um, so, I mean, it's, we're, we're talking, I mean, these characters are big. They're like, you know, games are big in any case in terms of character, but these are big, 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 big characters. And there was something in, in him that um, really resonated with me. The surrogate son is something that, because I, I never had children myself, is something that I've, felt a lot for other people's children um and that sort of that character resonated with me the sort of the one who is there who's not the father figure but he's perhaps more more approachable because he's not the father um he doesn't carry all that background of you know um and uh, and i've been that a lot for a lot of my friends children and for my nieces and nephews um i've been the the sort of the wacky uncle who you can tell anything to will never judge you and will always have your back um so i could not be a good father so that's i decided to be a good uncle and godfather and uh yeah and and i've been i think i hope i think so they tell me i have i was always very concerned with all of them of making sure that they had incredible memories and that the events where we met, the moments where we met, something happened to make it memorable for the rest of their lives. And, 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 and I think I have succeeded because every time, I mean, I'm, I met quite a few of them recently at my niece's wedding and, um, and they kept on talking about se several moments, like for example, when they were nine or ten, and I did a, um, I did a, uh, a treasure hunt in a cemetery at midnight. Oh, that sounds. And they, oh, it was it was absolutely amazing. It was, I mean, we were very respectful of you know where we were, but I think for them, it was like it, it and they they kept on during that when we sat down at the wedding, they said, I will never 
forget that. It is, it is part of the excitement of it, the sort of waking up at the time and sort of, and that is, is, has become magical. So I, I, if there's one thing that I like to bring to people is that it's a little bit of magic, a little bit of that memorable, something that will never die until they die. Sort of, you know, it stays there. You're definitely a light worker for sure. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and maybe part unicorn. <laughs> maybe part unicorn. I, I wouldn't mind. I, 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 yeah, I can, I can, I can claim my unicorn bits. <laughs> I love it. This has been so illuminating and I think like cleansing too i hope for you i hope this oh absolutely i think i think it's uh, i i come out of it with a a very joyous heart uh, a very sort of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's to be honest i think it's good to talk about these things i think it's we are too often taught not to confront our feelings i mean that's one thing i teach you know your feelings are your toolbox as an actor absolutely. so if you're unable to delve into them and to observe them and feel them and accept the pain, accept the tristesse, accept the sorrow, accept the joy, accept the amazement at life in general and, and, and the ability to capture every magical moment there is and share it, then you can't be an actor because it's, that's what acting is all about. It's feelings and, and emotions and, and all that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I think it was a cleansing experience and uh, it's sort of, it's interesting also to, to think what elements of the entirety of my life I've chosen to, spoke, to speak about. That is also an interesting bit. You know what I mean? It's that because there are so many other bits that I just completely kept silent. Um, until it's time to, to ta-da them uh, to the world. Well, maybe we need to have another talk. Later. We need to have another talk. Give me a couple of years, though, because yeah. I'm still working. I'm still working through, through that. <laughs> I, it's funny that you said um, how important those things are for the actor's toolbox, and I always think of it as this. It's like approaching anything with a beginner's mind, mm. with that childlike energy that you're in that sandbox and you're playing yeah. mm. and you're able to look at the world with wonderment and the mm. only way that you can do that usually is you know being around a lot of kids so you can see how they are able to um, look at the world in this just illuminating way that mm. as jaded adults so I'm sure your nieces and nephews are just as um, a magical experience for you as you are for them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Every time we, we get together, it's like, but, but I've got the same with my brothers. Um, it's, it's that sort of, in many ways, because my parents are both dead now, my family is my, I would say, I, I would, I, cocoon is not quite right, but it's, it's, a source of resourcing. It's a fountain of resources. If I go, for example, and I've got the same with certain places. Like my family is really 
it comes really from the Mont Saint Michel, that sort of magical area of France, where um, it's a it's a border of a lot of places. If if there is an access to a magical realm, I think it will be there. Really? It's not very far from the forest of Rosélande. It's you know it's it's that magical place. Uh, if you've never been to the Mont Saint-Michel, make sure you go. So it's, it's like an epicenter of energy like there? there. Yes, it's uh, it's basically, you, you will have seen some um, pictures of it. Uh, let me, um, we'll, we'll end on a lovely picture of the Mont Saint-Michel if you, if you don't mind. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll conjure one up. Um, and people will recognize it because it, it's, it's, it's almost like um, it's like a Disney castle in the sea. Oh wow! Very so, Atlantis kind of feel to it. Yeah. Can I can I share my screen or? No. Yes, I believe you can now. Oh wow! Oh, where did it go? I've just opened it, but it's struggling a little bit. It will come back. There, that is the Mont Saint Michel. Wow. This. So basically, it's a, it's a, um, uh, how would you say it? It's, it's an, it's an island which sort of goes when, when the sea recedes, you can go there on foot. Um, but it's when the sea is, is up, when the, 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 uh, the tide is, is, is up, then it becomes a complete island. What are they doing? It's a stamp a day. I was trying to find a nice picture. So this is where it is. You see, it's in the bay of the Mont Saint-Michel. Mm. And the little farm that I've bought is here. So you can see the Mont Saint-Michel from oh, How far are you from there? From the Mont Saint-Michel itself? Yes. Oh, about two kilometers? Oh, not far at all. Okay. Oh, not far at all. No, 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 no. And that's because my family has been there since the, um, I think, 13th or 14th, 14th century. So it's, it's, it really is, and it's a, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a source of um, energy that is absolutely incredible. When you, last time I went to the Mont Saint-Michel, I got there and I was going to stay two days there. So I booked a hotel on there. And of course, it's very busy during the day, but it's empty during, um, during the night or in the evening because everybody leaves. And on the first sort of five minutes that I was there, a little lizard latched onto me of course and of course as they do and they do um and I'm, I'm thankful for it and i welcome them but basically it sort of spent two days on my shoulder um and it slept in the room with me and and uh and it's uh, and i let it go on the last day because it belongs to the Mont michel it doesn't belong to me um but it's you should go there. You should definitely, if you, if you, as you are obviously in touch with energies, um, it is one of the places where you'll feel the light itself is just out of this world. It's, it's, uh, and it's not surprising that so many painters and so many artists flocked to that area because it's just um, 
yeah, it is a magical place. It's, well, uh, it's funny you should mention that um, because one of the things that I am planning for 2022, God willing, I would really love to do a creative energy retreat where I combine my Qigong, um, guided manifestation and other healing practices along with some um, acting you know, technique and whatnot to be able to go to an epicenter of energy and um, be in that space for about about a week with a group of people so I might need to look into um oh do 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 yeah. but you know that's that's uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm I don't know if I mentioned it but I'm looking to buy um a chateau see now that would uh, be perfect I need to have my energy well that's that but go. that's exactly why I want to buy it um because the idea is to Get enough on, money we to, need to make this happen. Oh, I know. We need to. We, we're definitely manifesting it now just by talking about it. Oh, but the idea. I haven't talked to anyone out loud about this idea except for my husband and my mother, and she loved the idea, but we just didn't know where to go. But France is, I mean, we've been there for 27 years. We had in Nice, at the, exactly, uh, Villefranche, Villefranche, you know, on yeah, the yeah. Princess Gras Boulevard. And I'm like, I'd love to go back to France. I haven't been back since I was 17. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. France missed you. <laughs> but uh, the idea of the chateau is basically to have um, roughly about 15 bedrooms and a lot of workshop places where you can bring everybody together, create that sort of, uh, create container, that, like a thing. yeah, and that, that containment of energy where, you know, where things happen when people are in close proximity for, and they want to be in close proximity. And uh, so I'd like to do writers, writers retreats and uh, potters retreats and uh, voiceover retreats and, and all these kinds of things, energy retreats, not that I would teach the energy bit, um, but, but do you see what I mean? And I basically, bring, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. And bring people in for a week where they share something and, and hopefully they share something that is that magical that it will stay with them for the rest of their lives. And they can always even use the memory to resource. Um, what I like to do is it's called emotional set point alignment. So if you find a time in your life that your emotional set point was at a very all time high creatively or energetically or just joy filled, it could be as simple if you haven't had much life experience listener, like let's, for example, if you're younger, you haven't had that much life experience, you could just source it from just something that was happy, um, you know, like a, an event that you did with friends. But as you grow older and you get the more experience, like for me, you know, just being on set with Al Pacino and Carl Urban in a, a mm. film that I was in that gave me that feeling of just Ooh. being a colleague and not just, you know, because uh, I got to be in a lot of different scenes with them and get to know them. And so like you can actually do something it's usually something that you do with um something that you wouldn't normally do like i touch these two fingers my ring finger and my thumb together or you could just do something like you touch this area something that you wouldn't normally do and that's funny i i tap i tap yeah, you tap, you can tap, you can tap certain places like there's cane. Well, I didn't know that was something. I, I just do it. Yeah, you oh, do funny. it because you're, you're there, you're tapped in, you're tuned in already. But you can create those emotional set points. And from there, you create a little word in your head you wouldn't normally say. Mine's ha-cha, ha-cha. 
like you know, like jazz hands. Yeah, so I do that, and and it recalls the memory of being on that set at that exact time, and I get that feeling. So when I go into an audition or I go into a place where I d I'm feeling less than or I'm feeling like maybe my energy could be stolen from me, I create that emotional set point, and it and it propels me to the energy that I felt then. And yeah, that's what I want to do with the retreat as well. So oh, wow, you know, it's that that that's being attuned. Okay, let's let's make it happen. Let's. I let's, love that. It's going to take a while. Um, yeah, it's going to take a while. It's going to take. But, a while. but, but yeah, then we've set the it, course in motion by putting it out. It's doable. There. It's absolutely doable. I'll, I'll be walking with a stone in my pocket, ready to put it, ready to put it down in that <laughs> chateau. Sort of, yeah, it's mine. <laughs> And I'm and, and our chateaus like even for sale in France like uh, oh yeah 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 they they are they are they are uh, usually they they require quite a lot of work um, and and usually I mean they're not cheap and um, and it, it's it, it requires dedication but um, yeah it's it's absolutely doable absolutely doable and the, the 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 region of Normandy we're lucky because we've got quite a lot of them I nearly bought one two years ago. Um, but it slipped under my fingers and then I decided, oh, I'm going to buy a farm instead. So I bought the farm. But now I'm, I'm back at the chateau. I, I, I want to sort of stand on the tallest turret um, and wave a handkerchief. <laughs> that's, that's my idea. <laughs> that's my aim in life. <laughs> And we can cry for you, Avita. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can cry for me, Avita. <laughs> I'm uh, gonna have to. I'm gonna have to make a move. But um, yeah. it was lovely. It was. Uh, thank you for that moment. Uh, I must. Thank you much, for much holding space with me today. This has been so amazing. And can you believe it? We're doing it. Some. It's. It's one thing to 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 realize that we are literally thousands of miles away from each other. We are. And yet, we're in that same little bubble of thought and kindness and love. And that's, that is quite amazing if you think about it. The, the magic of modern technology. Absolutely. And I, I feel so close to you now. Like, um, we just have kind of parallel lives a little bit in some of the instances. I have two older brothers as well that were way out of the house when I was in that large space by myself. And so, and maybe this chateau is that new evolution of what? Of the big space. And making I think it, it is. Beautiful. I mean, I, I truly believe that. Reclaiming the joy. Yeah, and I truly believe that, I mean, spaces have memories. Mm -hmm. Spaces have memories. And if we can latch on to them, like, for example, when I'm at the Mont Saint-Michel, it's a, it's a place, you know, with like a wealth of history. You know, um, Richard Lionheart was there. Henry II was there. You know, uh, it, uh, Thomas Beckett was there. Um, you know, all these people have left some of their traces, some of their DNA, some of their vibrations there so when you go there it's like you can become a sponge and you can become a and i and yeah so so we'll we'll have our chateau full of beautiful energy i love it i can't wait i can't wait either much much love much love to you as well <laughs> we'll stay in bye. touch <laughs> bye 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 everyone <laughs> bye <laughs> thanks for tuning in to undetoured navigating the artist journey 
If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and subscribe and leave a five-star review. And please check out our other episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And in return, my gift to you is a short, invigorating meditation to get your day started. You can find its link, along with other links to Undetoured, in this episode's description. Undetoured, Navigating the Artist's Journey was produced by Cabot Basden of Say What Sound Studio and hosted by Sloan Warren.